If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Political commentator and investigative journalist, you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the broadcast live and direct for the next two hours here on TNT. Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Fantastic segment. Wow. What a, what, a, what a great analysis by Leila Hatoum, veteran journalist on the ground in Beirut, Lebanon, covering these uh, events very closely, especially the uh, northern front, what they call, what Israel calls the northern front, what uh, Le- Lebanon calls South Lebanon. Uh, giving us details there. Also, the expanded analysis uh, on Yemen as well, how that's shaping up. And that's not really uh, making the headlines at the moment. The world seems to have moved on to other things, but that's developing very, very interestingly uh, indeed. So we really appreciate Layla's multivariant analysis, multilayered analysis on the situation uh, as it pertains to Gaza and the wider conflict in the Middle East, Layla Haitoum. Now, uh, we're going to be joined uh, in a few minutes by our roving correspondent, uh, Basil Valentine's going to catch up with us to talk about some important stories. And at the bottom of the half hour, we're going to connect with Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press to talk about what's cooking in the federal courts in New York. Uh, looking forward to that conversation. And also, uh, we're going to be giving a little bit of a look in on some of the other big stories uh, in just a moment. Now, the the what you also have to, and we talked about the bearing of the Hunter Biden laptop uh, story. New York Post seems to have gotten marching orders on this. I'm not sure what's happening on that. But the White House is wanting to do spring cleaning. Spring cleaning in preparation for a Biden second term. Uh, I didn't think I would see it, but apparently the B12 shots, the Adderall, whatever they're pumping Joe with, uh, seems to be working. He's somewhat compass mentis, enough to push him over the finish line. That's for sure. Uh, So if that happens, all bets are off on the election. We'll see what happens. There's lots of mail-in vote potential in certain states. Maybe there'll be a virus that will appear uh, in October and keep people from going to the polls. Wouldn't that be convenient? Hmm. What do you think? Mark that down in your notebooks, folks. You heard it here first. Uh, Anyway, uh, what would that mean during the actual term, second term of Biden? Should he uh, be shoehorned into the White House again? Uh, Will he actually be serving that second term? I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. But anyway, we can speculate all day long on this. Nobody knows. Uh, but the, the the great and the good at the DNC star chamber, probably Barack Obama and what's happening at the Obama mansion. They're probably mapping all this out as we speak. But anyway, that aside, uh, we're getting into uh, the rough patch with Ukraine and things are not looking great. Zelensky is going crazy, making really insane statements. Uh, I think his position as the actor playing the president uh, will certainly be coming to an end at some point. Um, but he's having trouble sort of, you know, backing uh, a U.S. candidate. And he's confused by statements being made by Donald Trump. Uh, he can't understand, quote, he can't understand Trump's promise. So apparently Donald Trump made a promise to Ukraine if he's elected has to do with weapons and support. Uh, but Trump has, has vowed to end hostilities as well within 24 hours if elected. Now, that's an interesting talking point. We heard that from Trump 
previously last year. He's saying, I could end it in 24 hours. Now, is he saying, I could end it or I will end it? Because those are two different things, two different things. So apparently this has created panic uh, in the Zelensky regime, absolute panic, as Donald Trump claimed he would end the Ukraine conflict in a day if he returns to power. Uh, Zelensky says, no, that's not possible. Uh, I think it is possible. Uh, any U.S. president could end this in a day. Literally one phone call and it's over. That's how the world works. That's how the real world works. Ukraine would not be fighting Russia right now in a losing war uh, if the United States was not pushing them to do it, paying for it, arming them, everything, giving them the political backing and the cover. The EU would jump ship. Everybody would jump ship. The U if the U.S. said no more, we're not sort of backing this project anymore, the Europeans would all basically do an, a volte-face an about face, and they would walk away from it, including Germany and Brussels. Ursula von der Leyen put her Nazi flag away and start championing the Rohingya or something like that. Who knows? Uh, whatever you can get some cheap virtue signaling points out of in Brussels, that's where they would be putting their energy. So anyway, I just thought we'd uh, drop that in there so the Ukrainian conversation getting more precarious and more problematic uh, as we go forward. NATO as well are struggling to get a narrative fix on, on Ukraine and they're to keep talking about the F-16s and what's that going to mean in terms of retaliation from Russia? Well, they already, Russia's already said that uh, if these are used, if certain musicians are used, if they're hitting targets inside Russia, that's going to be problematic. So that's something to think about. If you're NATO, Jan Stoltenberg, uh, the banker, is panicking right now. He doesn't know what to do, stuttering his way through his various statements and speeches. Even he doesn't know uh, whether he's coming or going. Uh, no change in the status there for the NATO secretary general, who probably uh, probably going to be replaced by Mark, Root, Mark Rudy from uh, the Netherlands who seems to be being pushed into that position. So one empty suit replaced with another uh, empty suit, another technocrat. So things are looking great for NATO. Not really. Anyway, let's pivot to our uh, trusted commentator and correspondent joining us right now from the sunny shores of the UK, or who knows if he's in London or not. Basil Valentine's joining us right now. Basil, how are you? Very well, thank you, Patrick. And the UK is anything but sunny. Uh, uh, three weeks into February, an endless series of gales and storms are buffeting us, but we, you know, we're used to it. It's February in Britain. This is the weather we get, cold and wet and windy. I, I rather well, enjoy in, it, to be honest. I'm in, uh, I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm in Washington, D.C. at the moment, and uh, it is cold and it's wet and it's cloudy. So very much like uh, like the UK. Can hardly tell the difference. And what is the political weather in Washington, Patrick? I'm reading in the Washington Post that uh, the United States is increasingly isolated on the world stage for its relentless support of Israel during the months-long bombardment of Gaza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talked about this. It's a strange paradigm that's shaping up in the world, Basil, where you have, you know, uh, anti-genocide uh, coalition of countries, and then you have the pro-genocide. Those countries that support genocide, that are backing it, arming it, paying for it, providing political cover for it. It's a very strange paradigm to have in the world. 
Um, I thought after the Second World War, we all got together, signed a genocide convention, and that would mean that, hey, you know, it's not really cool to back a genocide, but that seems to have changed uh, in, in in the last five months. No, Very that's odd. right. It, it, it's not cool to murder tens of thousands of innocent civilians in cold blood, uh, unless, of course, you're Israel, in which case you can act with impunity and... Uh, that was the precise phrase used by the representative of South Africa, who said that world leaders have allowed impunity to hold sway. Uh, this at a meeting of the G20 in Rio de Janeiro. Who knew the G20 was even going on, Patrick? Um, you know, if you read the British newspapers, it's scarcely got a mention. Yet it's one of the very few forums where... Uh, the likes of Sergei Lavrov, uh, the Russian foreign minister, the Chinese foreign minister, David Cameron and Tony Blinken, all of them get together in one room, which is, you know, highly unusual. Cameron took the opportunity to harangue Sergei Lavrov, unsurprisingly, and he was joined in that by that dreadful uh, Annalena Baerbock, the German so-called Green Foreign Minister. I thought they were supposed to be uh, peaceniks, the Greens, but uh, she is one of the most strident warmongers on the European stage. Um, but I digress. Yes, a key point is that the United States has found itself increasingly isolated. The host, uh, with Brazil hosting, was, of course, the Brazilian Foreign Minister Mauro Vieira who opened the two-day meeting this week, decrying the unacceptable paralysis of the United Nations Security Council, where, of course, on Tuesday, the United States vetoed a resolution calling for a ceasefire for the third time. Uh, now, by accident, several journalists, including some from the Washington Post, were able to listen to a closed-door meeting with diplomats after audio headsets continued to relay officials' comments, a uh, hot mic incident, uh, <laughs> during which some of the United States' closest allies expressed their dismay and frustration at the scale of the death unfolding in the Gaza Strip, with many appearing to signal that further such losses could be avoided if the US were to join calls for a ceasefire. These include Australia's representative, who said openly that the planned assault on Rafa should not go ahead. We say again to Israel, do not go down this path. Do we even have to have this debate at this point? What has it been? What are we, It's going to be six months pretty soon. Uh, you know, carpet bombing uh, civilians, killing tens of thousands of women and children. This is bad. Can we all agree on this? Can the international community agree on this? So this is the forum of the United Nations. So if the UN Security Council drops the ball on this, which they will, uh, then we were likely to see it kicked into the General Assembly at that point. And that's when things are going to get interesting. Uh, that's when things are going to get very interesting under the United for Peace resolution. A lot of things can happen as a result of that. Israel has not done itself any favors since the South African interim 
ruling uh, has come through at the International Courts of Justice. It has not ceased, has not desisted in its activities of, of what plausibly are ruled as genocide. Uh, so what are we going to have happen in the UN General Assembly? Um, a lot of things could happen. Sanctions, uh, revoking the membership of Israel in the United Nations. All of these things are on the table on the table at the moment. So that's going to get very interesting. They're not going to be able to really give any defense after the ICJ line was drawn in the sand, Basil. Israel really has no more sort of, I don't know, political capital, no goodwill left. They've expended it all. They are literally out on a ledge on this. And I'm going to say that uh, the backlash of this could be long and could be painful. Uh, with the international community. This could be a very long year for Israel, uh, is what we're saying, Basil. Your your thoughts? Well, the leaked audio from the G20 suggests that uh, Western governments are frustrated at what they see as Washington's hypocrisy in supporting Ukraine and not Gaza. Um, at the G20 last year, of course, Tony Blinken was largely able to win over delegations by invoking the UN Charter and principles of sovereignty to criticize Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. But diplomats in Rio this week have said that the US is undermining these arguments by defending Israel. If the G20 were united over the UN Charter principles, the tragedy in Palestine will not have lasted over three months, said the South African representative. Meanwhile, this is providing a window of opportunity for the Chinese to gain uh, greater influence in the region. Uh, if I can quote, while the original linchpin of Beijing's influence in the Middle East has been economic, notably in skyrocketing trade thanks to its Belt and Road Initiative, uh, the war in Gaza has given Beijing an opportunity to present itself as a responsible alternative to the United States. This, according to political scientist Peter W. Singer and China analyst Kevin Nguyen, writing for Defense One. Enticed by vast amounts of Chinese investment, Middle East countries are turning away from the United States demands. The United Arab Emirates, for example, a key player, have pulled out of the US-led maritime coalition meant to counter attacks by the Houthi rebels after Washington asked states to reduce their ties with China and Russia. So, you know, this is all sort of good stuff, but in the meantime, in spite of the fact that uh, in the previous hour, Leila Hatoum said that there's a sort of pause in the killing. Dozens of Palestinians were killed again overnight. I've seen harrowing footage of uh, surgeons coming out of the operating, the remaining operating theatre. I mean, you know, the, the uh, entire health system of Gaza is in total collapse. Uh, surgeons coming out of operating theatres to, to be told that their entire families have just been murdered uh, in missile strikes. Um, you know, children being shot while trying to gather rainwater for their families to drink. The atrocities continue apace, Patrick. 
No, it, it hasn't. Uh, what, what's also happening is there's uh, viewer fatigue, uh, political fatigue on this issue. Um, so we'll see. I mean, if another round of escalations happens in, during Ramadan, which Israel's threatening right now, um, that might uh, reinvigorate some of the opposition to this. But, you know, how much can people take uh, and how much attention uh, can the world allocate towards this issue, especially if something else pops up? Um, that draws everybody's attention away. Wouldn't that be Israel's dream right now uh, for some other conflict or some other incident to appear that would suck all of the political energy and media attention away uh, from the horrors that we're seeing still on a daily basis uh, unfolding in Gaza? An unbelievable situation, uh, if there ever was one. Uh, Basil, well, the, and what, yeah, go ahead. Well, well the Brazilians uh, used the summit in Rio to point up the urgent need for reform of international institutions. Uh, this was their key message, really. Uh, Mauricio Carvalho Lirio, who was the Brazilian Sherpa at the G20, the sort of uh, lead voice, although he's not the foreign secretary, he was the key apparatchik. He said the world, uh, he talked about alternatives, drawing attention away from Israel, is currently facing 183 conflicts worldwide. Uh, and that the UN is only really capable of attempting to put out fires at the moment. The idea, he said, is that we will have an effective reform of the United Nations so that it really is an instrument to prevent conflicts from occurring. And he added that a second meeting of the G20 foreign ministers will take place in New York in September alongside the UN General Assembly at which other UN states will be invited to thrash out a detailed plan for reform of the United Nations itself, including the Security Council. Of course, that's a long way off September. Um, goodness knows what will happen in Gaza or how many thousands of Palestinians would have been killed by then. But it's the US veto, the fact that the UK still has a veto, the fact that countries like Brazil and India are not permanent representatives of the Security Council, in spite of being far more populous and larger land masses than countries like the UK and France, uh, with the Security Council, of course, having been formed in the aftermath of the Second World War. Um, so tectonic plates shifting uh, when it comes to international relations, but uh, what good it does in the short term is, you know, a moot point, shall we say. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath uh, for the United Nations to be preventing any conflicts around the world, but uh, it's a nice idea. Uh, so I guess they got to be at least saying the right things. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the country that hosts the United Nations, the United States of America, really has all the cards uh, when it comes to these sort of things. So uh, Washington itself could prevent all wars and conflicts with uh, a few phone calls, uh, as Trump uh, intimated with his statement regarding Ukraine. But that's unfortunately the way of the world it is a Hobbesian state of nature uh, in in the world order, uh, unfortunately. Um, it is not uh, an egalitarian, uh, widely distributed uh, spectrum of power, unfortunately. But there are moves afoot. Uh, there are emerging power centers in the world, China and Russia, Brazil, BRICS, multipolar, talks of a multipolar world order, Basel, uh, to, as a transition away from the unipolar hegemon, 
uh, led by the United States uh, since the fall of the Iron Curtain. So that's the way the geopolitics is shaping up there. Uh, Britain, however, it would be a still start if go you ahead. know, and the whole point about the thing of the ICJ, uh, the the case about the occupation, which has been two years in preparation, where again the United States found itself isolated by uh, saying that uh, ending the occupation would endanger Israel's security. It's not really not really a relevant point at all. The security of one country should not is not dependent upon the establishment of a uh, of a state in another country. Um, but um, uh, yeah, the, the the existing institutions are not applying standards across the board as they should. For example, Joseph Borrell, the EU foreign affairs chief, who was, of course, at the G20, even though you know he doesn't really represent anybody. Uh, I suppose he represents those European countries, uh, not represent you know not Britain and France and the big ones basically. Anyway, he said that there was a strong consensus. In Rio, here we go for a two-state solution and <laughs> hoped that the Security Council might end the deadlock by recognizing the principle of the two-state solution through a unanimous re resolution that could give it international legitimacy. And he said he expected a new Arab peace plan within the next few days. On Israel's conduct, he said the issue is not that Israel has to fulfill international law and humanitarian law. Certainly everybody has to do it. The issue is, are they doing it? And he added that Israel's compliance with international humanitarian law would be discussed within the framework of the EU-Israel Association Agreement, which gives Israel favored nation uh, trading status, etc., and implied that the agreement might be brought into question. I mean, Personally, I think that, you know, might be brought into question after the deaths of 35,000 civilians and the reduction of Gaza to a pile of rubble. I mean, are you joking? It should have ended months ago. But uh, nevertheless, for the EU, you know, when you consider that uh, von der Leyen draped herself in the Israeli flag, these are quite significant moves. And of course, uh, his point about the Security Council unanimously supporting a two-state solution would be a real two fingers up at the Neset and Netanyahu, who have reaffirmed their opposition to the establishment of a Palestinian state over and over again in recent weeks. So this collision course that I've referred to several times seems to be, you know, irresistible force two-state solution and immovable object israel seem to be heading towards each other uh, with a sort of inevitable collision on the horizon i think it's important also to note that the european union uh as it is in brussels it's not a democratic uh institution a lot of people have, have this kind of idea that it's democratic they have a eu parliament but it's a toothless forum uh for basically i don't know uh speeches and you know maybe expressing one's opinion uh but the eu parliament don't really have any voting power on anything uh and the leader of the eu is appointed so it really is the most undemocratic of all institutions and has modeled itself after the more of the soviet 
uh, system. So you have a European Soviet right now. It's called the EU. It's masquerading as some democratic institution, but uh, it's anything but democratic. I think that we can lay all that to rest. Uh, any talk of the EU being any sort of a democratic institution, it's just the opposite. It's there to rob the sovereignty of its member states piece by piece, little by little, to the point where they've choked off uh, any independence and sovereignty in any of these countries and left them with a shell of their former self, literally. Uh, and eventually, I don't know, homogenize all of Europe so everything is the same. The only thing, maybe slight differences in language, but that's about it. So it's, uh, I, I think one day, Basil, the EU uh, may meet the same demise that the Soviet Union met if they keep going in their current trajectory. Uh, but that's just my opinion. Uh, yeah, um, you know, at least Britain's no longer a part of it. But having said that, our own institutions are arguably worse. The House of Commons was absolutely disgraceful this week uh, with the speaker abandoning the established protocol and allowing the SNP motion for an immediate ceasefire to be put before the Commons and instead going along with the Labour amendment of course this has caused considerable uproar dozens of MPs have signed a letter of no confidence in Lindsay Hoyle who it's worth remembering uh, in November, went on one of those theatrical propaganda trips to Israel. He is uh, a member of Labour Friends of Israel, uh, which was started by his father, Doug Hoyle, now Lord Hoyle, who was originally, when he was elected, supposed to be something of a left winger. Anyway, back to the narrative this week. Uh, Starmer uh, went to see... Uh, Lindsay Hoyle in the Speaker's office to put pressure on him to adopt the Labour amendments and put only them before the House of Commons. Crucially, before going to see the Speaker, Starmer spoke to Isaac Herzog, the man who signs bombs that blow children's legs off and eyes out the so-called president of Israel. Starmer spoke to him to get his instructions, we can only assume. Uh, this, you know, and, and then sort of what would be acceptable, Isaac, went to uh, Hoyle, who, the speaker, who of course was entirely sympathetic to Starmer's pleading on behalf of the Zionists to water down the motion put before the House of Commons, removing any reference to collective punishment. This in itself has led uh, an awful lot of people to, you know, basically that's the end. Uh, so one wag put it on X, this is the first ever government that's lost all moral authority before it's even taken office. I'm referring, of course, to the strong probability that Labour will win the general election later this year. But, you know, it's already completely finished and has become very clear the influence of Israel on British politics. But it doesn't stop there, the nonsense. Uh, Hoyle has subsequently changed his tune and is now claiming that the reason uh, he performed the shenanigans that he did was to protect MPs. It is now being claimed 
that people wanting to end the genocide, people wanting to stop the bombing of children and civilians, somehow pose a security threat to the House of Commons, to MPs. Uh, and this has then snowballed all week into a sort of Islamophobic hysteria with uh, the former Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, penning an absolutely ludicrous, deeply sinister piece in the Telegraph saying that Islamists have taken over. I mean, the whole thing is the biggest load of nonsense that I can ever remember. Daily Express today ran with a headline saying, why did the police allow anti-Semitic messages to get projected onto the House of Commons? Uh, there was a huge demonstration outside the Commons this week when the. Vote so what? Was going sorry, through. we're gonna, we got a we got a break. We got a break. Uh, we got Matthew Russell Lee coming up from Inner City Press, but uh, you know, <laughs> uh, what what exactly is anti-Semitic about asking for a ceasefire? Projecting the word ceasefire now on the House of Commons. Us? Can anyone oh, answer well, that was, question? Well, also there was the problematic phrase "from the river to the sea." Palestine Ooh. will be free, which, of course, sim is simply calling for the establishment of uh, equal rights for all people living in that part of the world. But that's deliberately misinterpreted to mean something else altogether. Basil Valentine, our correspondent this week, thank you very much for bringing these important stories to our attention. Much appreciated. Thank you. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. We'll take a quick break here with the network and connect uh, Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press waiting on the other side for the latest out of the Southern District of New York and beyond all of this coming up in just a few minutes. I'm Patrick Henningsen. Stay right there. TNT's Dean Mackin. Some would argue where it comes to Julian Assange, he has more than done his time, whether that be self-imposed or where he currently finds himself locked up for just that time that he spent in the Ecuadorian embassy. That was way more time than he ever should have served. And what did he do? He told the truth. Somehow you would think if you were new to this world, if you were a visiting alien, if you were a child who was growing up in this world, you would learn quickly that if you tell the truth, if you advocate for what's right, you'll be punished. Apparently, that's the lesson to be learned. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4MySay app now. That is number four, my say. Today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We are live and direct right now, the final segment of the final hour. I want to welcome onto the program Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press, joining us uh, from the Big Apple. Matthew, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I, I, we have things slightly beyond the Trump uh, docket today, but there is a lot of Trump news. So I thought I'd, I'd keep you with that. That's what the the intersection of uh, of the of the law and politics, or lawfare, as some call it. Uh, there was a development yesterday. As, as people may know, there are, there are at least four criminal cases involving uh, President Trump. One, the first of which is here in New York, right down the street from where I'm speaking to you from. Uh, beginning March 25th, there will be the um, 
the, the case involving business records. Basically, the crime was improperly bookkeeping for hush money to Stormy Daniels. And it's now been made clear to me that, that those forms were never even filed with the government. It, the analogy is like it would be writing the wrong entry in your own checkbook <laughs> and that the government coming and saying it was a fraud. That's the first one. And I think that even some of the detractors of Trump think it's it's a shame from their point of view that that's the first one because one, it might lose. And even if it wins, it's not, it's going to take the sting out of the rose of saying, you know, a felon can't run for president because the felony is such a kind of dubious one. But there, the, the case that's, that, that, I, that, that yesterday had four, count them four, motions to dismiss by Trump in is the Florida case, uh, the, the improper taking of documents uh, to, to Mar-a-Lago, allegedly. Um, and I have to say, I looked at the filings. They're actually, they're, they're pretty hooked up. He's got, he has a legal team now. There's a guy called Todd Blanche. There's a guy called Emile Beauvais, who used to be with the prosecutors here in Southern District. Uh, there's a guy called Chris Kyes that was uh, he was up here in the Engeron case. Anyway, they moved on every ground. They moved on presidential immunity. They moved on the Presidential Records Act. They said that Jack Smith is a has a conflict of interest and his office is properly funded. And so I think that that's going to throw the case. Uh, that case is not going anywhere very quickly. And there and and I think that there are people saying like, oh, they're just throwing stuff at the wall. They're they're pretty. I see a lot of motions. Those motions aren't too bad. And uh, it doesn't. You don't even have to have a like Trump hack judge to have those motions have have a little bit of traction uh, in them. So those are the the the. Meanwhile, there's a lot of glee here uh, at some in New York of Trump having to now pay out this. Uh, it, it depends how you count. Three hundred and fifty-five million dollars. There's also charges to the two sons. There's a clawback from uh, uh, Weisselberg, his his uh, longtime CFO. And there's also interest mounting. In the last week, Judge Engeron has said um, uh, there's there'll be no stay, no stay of this this money being due. So to appeal it, he's going to have to post a bond. Apparently, I mean, I think he has it, but it's the the, the this is something that Nikki Haley, who I know we've discussed before, has latched onto. She said, "How can a man run for the nomination with all of these financial and legal problems? I'm pure as the driven snow." And I and I alone can beat Biden in a non-nail-biting election. So that's where we stand on, on the law, the law and the race, except for the fact that Saturday in, in South Carolina, apparently Nikki Haley is going to get wiped. <laughs> the floor will be wiped with Nikki Haley in South Carolina. But she's already, I, I have to say, she's, I think the Wall Street Journal, it may not be your favorite newspaper, but they've, they've said that, that Nikki Haley is showing this kind of spunk that shows she has presidential timber. If not this time, maybe in a future, some future, back to the future, America. I don't know what's your what, how you see it from over. I know you've been all over the place. We haven't spoken in a few weeks, so I want to I want to turn the, the questioning on you in a moment. But what's what's your view of uh, the the Haley Haley's prospect Haley's comment, so to speak? Uh, I think I think uh, I, I just think of that film, uh, The Wizard of Oz. Is if, if the Wicked Witch doesn't melt, I think yeah, she could have good prospects uh, for 2028. But uh, you know, she's proven herself uh, to the establishment, to the military-industrial complex, to the Israeli lobby that she is all in, and she will absolutely push that agenda over the goal line. So I think she will be uh, put if 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 there was a Trump presidency, Matthew. Um, the establishment, the people who actually run the country will tell him that she is going to be either his vice president or a certain cabinet position, probably like secretary of state or secretary of war. I'm sorry. I get I get him confused sometimes. 
I think it's I think I don't know. I mean, I know that Trump is is a, it has a long history of, of trashing people and then and then offering them the, the, the olive branch. And, and his adversaries have a long history of kind of uh, eating, eating crow. I'm trying I'm going to try to avoid any swear words here. Eating crow and, mm-hmm. and coming back. I could see DeSantis eating some big crow, just like he eats the pudding and the chicken fingers and all the things he's so famous for. I don't know. I think that this bird brain thing, it's getting it's getting pretty. I mean, it's true. Actually, incredible. The number of people that have kissed Trump's Trump's ring down to Ted Cruz. Everybody kisses yep. it. But I, I actually think that this Nick, Nikki has said she's not going to kiss the ring. So this might be the 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 the, the real question of this race. I can't <laughs> see her as vice as vice president. But I, I guess she could say, I mean, I think that there's a they have a different foreign policy. I don't know. I don't know if she could be. Secretary of State. She, you are right. I mean, whether we call her the the Secretary of War or the warmonger, uh, one of one of Trump's sort of sort of uh, characteristics, one of his his brand is like non-intervention. Like if you do anything, do it big, bigly, bomb bigly. Not like like he. I think he's already made fun of Biden's sort of like like uh, nibbling around the edges of Yemen a little little bit here, a little bit there. You know, he 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 said, if I'm going to do it, the Houthis are you're never going to hear of them again. But basically, doesn't want to do it. He says, you know, I mean, as you know, it's it's an interesting, it, it's actually kind of it, it reminds this sort of non-intervention uh, policy. It, it it's a total reversal of left and right over the last few decades. But uh, Nikki's definitely like she's all in. So it, it, I, I don't know. Maybe they could find her. I'm trying to think. Can you make bird brain the secretary of education or is that too low a position for, 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 for I'd put her I in know. HUD. I uh, probably uh, as a HUD secretary. <laughs> I think she or what? No, what's that the one Pete Buttigieg has? I think that's a good yeah, one. Yeah. Transportation. Transportation. You can change. You can take months off at a time. It's a, uh, it hasn't really been going too well for old Pete. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talk now about like, Oh, here's a, you know what? I, here's a blast from the past. You thought we'd never say this name again. Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy. Oof. He caught my eye. He caught my eye this week for 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 a retweet. So it could have just been, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's an endorsement. But there's a there's a guy. Now we're going to come full circuit back to the law and to due process. There's a guy, uh, Ross, free Ross. Check it out. Check out the hashtag. He's the he was the founder of of Silk Road, which was an online, you know, dark web. It was one of the first. It was one of the first. And I think. I actually view him as a libertarian. I view him as a kind of guy that was like not just in it for the money. Now it's true that you, when you do this kind of thing, you 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 take a chance that somebody's going to buy deadly fentanyl and die. But does that make you a murderer? Well, to the U to the U.S. Department of Justice in the case of Ross, it did, and he was sentenced to two life sentences. So he's in jail. I'm. This is not like my. I'm not. I I think it's wrong. I think it's that's too long. And I say it because I've seen other sentences for killing people with fentanyl and for running, running, you know, there's a, I mean, just as an example, there's a, there's a crypto case called uh, Tornado Cash, um, a guy called Roman Storm. I believe he's Russian. He's a great name. Roman Storm. Storm, Storm. Tornado Storm, Storm Tornado. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's a Tornado Cash. It's a, exactly. And he's, it, this is, this is, now we're getting down into the weeds of, of, of kind of libertarian and, and privacy rights, but he created something called Tornado Cash, which basically is, to make a long story short, it it swirls the money so you really can't, even crypto is traceable. But with Tornado Cash, it becomes significantly more difficult. So is it true that maybe the North Koreans used it to launder some of the money they hacked from the Bank of Bangladesh and elsewhere? 
Probably so. But that's not why he set it up. And is it his job to make it easier for law enforcement? He says no. And he faces a trial here in the Southern District. And he's not going down easy. He's been raising money from like-minded libertarians and or terrorists. Or I would I would throw I don't have much, but I, it's an interesting case. It's an interesting case of sort of what's what's the public's duty to help law enforcement do its job. I think that's a very you know it's one thing. What's his name? There's what's those, his name again? Roman Storm. Roman Storm. Ro- I, so I guess I, yeah, Roman Storm is this, so it's U.S. versus Storm, but the the company was known as Tornado Cash. And so they they created a GoFundMe. They were like, we we're going to fight this thing. This is a this is a you know uh, a real battleground. GoFundMe has thrown them off the platform. I'm not sure for what. I, I, that's another you know micro controversy. I try to. I'm juggling these various ones, but that's a. I think even in writing about crypto criminals, uh, which is one of the beats that I cover, I get feedback from people saying, don't just because he's a defendant, like Sam Bakeman Free. There's a guy called Alex Mashinsky. There's a guy in the Eastern District called John Caroni of Safe Moon. There's all these things, but that this this, this tornado cash is a much more philosophically based um, case. I mean, it really is going to come down to, and and then the, the the thing with that is it comes down to the jurors. Honestly, like they pick a jury, and it's in the jurors' hands. Like what what is the 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 duty of uh, does technology have to slow down for government to keep up? And, you know, it's Ross with with Ross Ulbrich and Silk Road or with Roman Storm or with Kim dot com is another one. Kim dot com National Security Court in uh, was Eastern District of uh, Virginia there. Um, They Mm -hmm. had him all stitched up for mega upload. And he literally said, I look, I provide a platform here. I wasn't, uh, you know, whatever people do with that. So it was over the intellectual property and the music industry in Hollywood. We're all uh, bent uh, uh, over that thing. So it's the same question on all of these. And I don't understand why they have to make an example. Uh, They literally have to execute and assassinate anybody because they end up coming to regulate it anyway. So the regulation comes in, and of course, then the party's over and move on. And what happened right. so many times, uh, Matthew, is before some of these hackers, when I know uh, some of these hackers over the years, we've interviewed them, famous ones, and they moved into legitimate businesses afterwards, you know, because it was like, yeah, they got their little, you know, warning, they're slapping the wrist, or whatever, and, uh, probation or whatever but they didn't like throw them in the federal pen for like yeah. you know life which is what they're trying to do to some of these guys i think it has right. more to do with the influence uh and competitive parallel economies that are competing with big institutions i think that's probably more like what's drawing all of this reaction from uh from the state sure no i i, I like that, that and i also think you know sometimes just somebody Ross was like a little too early. I think that hard, these days it would be hard to go for that 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 kind of a sentence, but they were able to. Then again, you know, and I think maybe this. I, I know that in the week we've we've uh, conversed somewhat about the Assange hearings over there. But I, what I wanted to emphasize I to, to you is you more than that. yeah, more so than just the the there's there's a case that's directly about people that visited Assange and their their right to privacy. But there's an even there's a case that that's not direct that's WikiLeaks related. This guy called Josh Schulte, and I want to. I just want to say again, he's now like he's he's there's various appeals that he's filed. But, you know, he got 40 years. He got 40 years. Again, maybe he's the worst. He did. It, it seems that it was proved, um, you know, that he leaked these these Vault 7 tools to WikiLeaks. But somehow he's not viewed as as 
a whistleblower just as a sort of a, a uh, vindictive, you know, rogue employee, then child porn didn't help either because <laughs> I was there's a recent filing of him trying to get some of his computer equipment back and the government goes through great. It's incredible. This guy managed to get he managed. In fact, five floors from where I'm speaking to you is a skiff. OK, there's a secure whatever you call it, secure facility where they bring in people to see information that the government says is way too confidential to be seen, not just by their lawyers in their office, anywhere except in a government secure area. Most recently, we can, if we have time, we'll get to that. The former president of Honduras is jailed in Brooklyn. He's being brought to trial every day here in New York. And he goes up to that skiff and they, he, you know, he reads this, what basically was his communications with USDA people when he was the president, when he was playing a double game, pretending on the one hand, according to the government, of course, to be on their side and extraditing drug dealers, but drug traffickers, massive drug traffickers. But these were the guys he was competing with. He actually was running his own business. But so he goes up there. But so Schulte was taken up there, chained to the floor while he viewed it. And it, I only learned this week, they're saying that he managed to take ch somehow get child porn into the skiff and then take it back to MDC Brooklyn. If true, he may be a really nasty character, but he's also an unbelievable. It's not easy. That's not easy. I'm, you know, I don't know what Juan Orlando would want from the skiff, but most people aren't coming out of the skiff with anything. But apparently, they, and then they checked his, his laptop and his, his air gap laptop and his, his totally secure discovery hard drives. And they all, he managed to build encrypted parts of all of them that they couldn't access and still can't access. And he's such a, a, an ornery person that he now says, it's my property. I want it back. So they've said, we're not giving it back until we know what's in it. And I think they're, he probably is not going to get it back. And any else, who knows? I, I think in 40 years, we're going to have better technology than like external hard drives. You know, it might, it might be a more frightening technology, but it's all going to be moot when, when the time comes. And who even, who even knows if there'll be children anymore, Patrick, in terms of his other proclivities? Uh, you know, it's it's so funny to see these these sentences that say, like, when you're released from jail in 40 years, you have to consent to the search of your cell phone. I, I have a feeling this is going to be moot, you know? Anyway, I, I'm going to turn the camera. I want to turn it on you. Not the camera, but the question. Where have you been? Where have you been these two weeks? I've been, I mean, I, I see you're all over the place. I'm asking. I mean, I'm sure you've been saying in your other segments, but indulge me for just a moment so I can grill you. I, I, I've been I've been at an anarchist conference in Mexico. Um, that right. was interesting. Yeah. And uh, and right now I'm in Washington, D.C., Matthew, not far from you, uh, taking wow. the political temp taking the political temperature of what's going on here uh, with the White House just a few blocks away from me, uh, in fact, and uh, not far from Foggy Bottom either. I'm sort of strategically placed there in that key sort of devil's triangle uh, in Washington, D.C. But it's very interesting uh, what's happening right now uh, with the geopolitics and how that's shaping the election we'll talk about that in a moment we're going to take a quick break sure. with tnt i'm with matthew russell lee inner city press we dropped his Substack link in the chat room you guys want to subscribe follow him get his newsletter support matthew lee from inner city press let's take a quick break with tnt we'll be right back in just a minute de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective we just have got a great example it's on cfac if you google cfac you'll see it a blog that says climate alarmists like Senator Whitehouse are fueling anxiety in young people. Now, Sheldon Whitehouse is basically a carpetbagger. He's up in Rhode Island. He came from North Carolina. He knows absolutely zero 
about the history of New England hurricanes. If he does know something about it, then all his posturing about how bad hurricanes are getting in New England have to be complete lies. You know why? We've just gone through the longest stretch of time in the last 150 years of no hurricane hits in New England. It's a record drought of hurricane hits on the New England coast. But you got this guy up there and he's a Rhode Island senator and he realizes that's about the only place he can get elected senator, maybe in Connecticut, but they have established Democrats there. And he just spouts off and says stuff that has nothing to do with reality. And I would love to debate this guy. It would be like having someone I'd love to wrestle, just mop the floor with him. But listen to this, this came from Bloomberg Green. In the most critical cases, climate anxiety disrupts the ability to function day to day. Children and young people in this category feeling alienation from friends and family, distress when thinking about the future, and intrusive thoughts about those who will survive, according to this guy's research, Heckman. Patients who obsessively check for extreme weather, read climate change studies, and pursue radical activism, well, they seem to be in the norm. Some devastatingly consider suicide as the only solution. Now, who is responsible for that? Who's responsible for that? Certainly not the climate. Certainly not the weather. We have four times the amount of people on the planet than we did in 1930 with 128th the climate deaths. It's people like Sheldon Whitehouse. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Political commentator and investigative journalist. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back for the uh, the final segment here. I'm with Matthew Russell Lee, Inner City Press, uh, joining us on the line right now from the Big Apple. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned the Assange case that's in the federal court. A lot of people don't know that uh, these people are suing the CIA, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for violating their, their rights. Yeah, and so forth. exactly. Because what, what, this has direct bearing on the, on the arguments made by his defense team in London on the extradition hearing that he's a political prisoner and this is a political case ergo it bars extradition to the u.s according to the treaty between the uk and the u.s but what's happening in the courtroom on this well, well exactly what, what the case here is about is it's a it, i don't want to say it's a narrow case it's the plaintiffs are people that visited assange at the ecuador uh embassy in london and their phone they, they left their phones uh in the bottom and the question becomes whether the fact that these phones were searched Imaged um, violates the Fourth Amendment, and and it's it, it's Pompeo was thrown out because they were saying basically it's like a Bivens law. You can't sue him personally. But the case has survived. There was a the government tried to dismiss it. Said it's ridiculous. There's no expectation of privacy. Just like when you go through an airport, for example, there was. But the judge, Judge Codal here, to his credit, said no, no. At least one one claim here survives. Now, the, to me, it's been frustrating because the case. Several times the plaintiffs have asked for extensions. Maybe they, they needed the extension to, to do their briefing as best they could. But it's true that it's been I don't think it's going to it's going to come to any conclusion in time. Like I, I know I hear what you're saying, that it's related. I'm not sure it really revolves around what can you you know, what can embassies and their contractors do overseas. Now, the big difference here is that these are American citizens. So I think that that's mm. why the judge said, yes, there's a Fourth Amendment interest. There's another, you're going to love this one. There's a, and this was a slam dunk case. There's a case here that I covered yesterday where the Justice Department is seeking to seize the luxury yacht 
of what they declare. They, it's, it's a phrase that gets thrown around now a lot. Russian oligarch, uh, Suleiman Karimov, has a $300 million luxury yacht. You know, what the hell? And, and it's in Fiji, and the U.S. has gotten Fiji to attach it because they're saying this is their this is they announced this with much fanfare this was like the justice department goes to war regarding ukraine we're going to seize these assets wherever we find them but the question becomes now he's gotten some lawyers obviously the lawyers say wait a second not so fast they're trying to sell the boat i think this week like they grabbed it and they want to sell it and they're saying wait we don't have any hearing what about this was that was the boarding of the boat did it violate the fourth amendment and it seems uh, and there's a very liberal judge. There's a scientific judge called called uh, uh, Judge Ho here, Dale Ho. He's a civil libertarian, and yet he shut the argue, he shut the defendant's argument down. One, two, three. The Fourth Amendment does not apply outside of the United States to non-U.S. In, uh, individuals, foreign entities, whatever you call them. So it looks like that boat. If you're in the market, it, uh, uh, it's it's quite a. It's called the Amadeo. It's called the Amadeo. It's sitting in Fiji. It's not in dry dock. It's still, it's revved up. I bet you it's got all of its satellite satellite balls on top spinning uh, for sale for, for the mere cost of $300 million. The, the U.S. did yesterday in, in this conference say that if they end up losing the case, um, uh, maybe they'll give the money back, but the boat will be gone. It will have sailed off uh, over the horizon. I don't know who's going to buy it either. Probably it's got a lot of U.S. bugs on it at this point because I'm not sure who really can buy can purchase that kind of uh, maybe J- Jeff Bezos. You know, you never know. But uh, so maybe, maybe. So let me go. I mean, yeah, go ahead quickly. You got two minutes no, no, left. Just, I'll well, give you the floor. Okay, go ahead. Sure. I, well, I, I guess what I, I just wanted to say, like I, I let I hear what you were saying about the connection of the case. I don't think that this case, certainly in the time frame that it allows, is going to determine conclusively that he's a political prisoner or anything. I think, and I don't know, you would know better than me what the proceedings are over there. I actually see the Schulte thing. I think that there was a, people there might really want, and I'm sure they have looked at it. In fact, I've heard from some of them. Schulte gave about a 20 to 30 minute self speech at, at his sentencing. And the things he described, whatever you think of him as a as a leaker and also child porn individual, which really is not as painful. And he was convicted of that. So I can't, I can no longer say, it may have been, Maybe they wouldn't have looked for it if he hadn't leaked, but they did look for it. And they did find it. He described being being in solitary, you know, 23 and a half hours a day with white noise turned up so that he can't sleep, uh, garbage on the floor. It really is. It, it does seem he, then of course, said it's as bad as Auschwitz, which turned a lot of the uh, readers of the, of the, of the tweet storm uh, off. And it was a bit much. But the conditions are, are, are extreme. And I think that that. To me, it seems like most European countries don't don't want to be sending people into those type of conditions, and those are the conditions. He yeah, does not. No, no, and that's that, that, that. was the basis. <laughs> that was the basis for the last uh, stay of execution for extradition is that uh, Julian Assange could commit suicide. Uh, he's not in good mental health, so this, this remains a kind of uh, you know human rights issue uh, that's always going to be there. So, uh, yeah, we're. We don't know uh, what's going to happen. There's a European Court of Human Rights uh, potential appeal avenue uh, there. There's always a, an appeal avenue uh, at some point. Um, so I expect that uh, whatever options are going to be exercised there. But that will be something we can discuss in a future. Matthew Russell Lee, Inner City Press. Do follow him. Do subscribe. Appreciate you coming on TNT this week, sure. Matthew. Definitely. Glad there to be you. here. 
There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, and do follow his work. Subscribe, get the latest up to the minute when you get his Substack newsletter. And also a big thank you to Basil Valentine. Of course, veteran Middle East journalist Leila Haitoum joining us on the ground in Beirut for a fantastic analysis in the first hour. That's all we've got time for. This has been an absolutely show-stopping week on the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT. Appreciate you guys, everybody in the chat room as well. We'll see you next week. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of an interesting uh, road schedule next week, but we'll bring it together. Take care, you guys. See you soon.